As you can see, the piano has, does not sit fallow in your absence, Robbie. It's being put to good use. Well, good morning. Uh, just a few things for I jump in. One is um, we will recognize today is Memorial Day and we will recognize that. And, and Kevin uh, Warren's going to share a few words with us. So um, right after the message. So uh, bear with us on that. And the message, in a sense, ties into Memorial Day, as you will see shortly. Uh, the other thing is the bulletin says that our passage is Matthew 5, 8. Every once in a while, maybe a couple times a year, I like to um, uh, feed the secretary erroneous information just to see if she's paying attention. And our scripture is actually 5, 9 this morning. Uh, really, I fed her the wrong uh, information by mistake. It's all on me. I'm just trying to be funny. No pressure, Michelle. She has no, of course, she has no idea to know what, if it's right or not. She trusts that I am giving her the right information. Uh, the other thing is for if community group leaders, I'm not sure how many of you are still meeting, but, um, I have notes that I send out by email to the leaders for the groups and my computer's in the shop. So I'm not sure when I'll get the notes out to you on these. So, um, but I do have them. And if they, if I get them before the next sermon, then I'll send them out to you. So we are in Matthew 5, 9 this morning. And to introduce this beatitude, I just want to open up with a personal story. And it happened one night when Lisa and I were in South Carolina. She doesn't know I'm going to share this with you. I never tell her. When I'm going to share personal stories because I don't want her to be anxious about it. But anyway, this was um, we were I want to say it was probably within the first year. Uh, My memory is fading, but it was early on in our marriage and happened one night. And I was at Bible college there in, in South Carolina. We were living there. And so I was newly married, which means also I was a new husband, uh, which meant I was a new leader and all of the biblical mandates that come into biblical leadership of the home and leading your wife and so forth. So I was new at this stuff. Um, And it was and remains our tradition at night to communicate. We've learned from the very beginning that communication, healthy communication, is absolutely instrumental to a good marital relationship. You just have to have it. And so it was our tradition to communicate at night, touch base, connect, wind down and so forth. And this particular night, for whatever reason and for the life of me, I can't remember what it was. But the conversation went very, very sour. Uh, Wouldn't surprise me if Lisa could give you detail account of this. I don't remember what it was. Um, I'm kind of curious now, but it, it, it went it went bad. It really, really went bad. And, and before long, uh, whereas I think we were both laying on our backs, Lisa had rolled over on her side and that was it. It was cold and we both we both just shut each other out and um, laid there. I don't know if you play this game, but I I play this game and just lay there as still as possible. Not to give the other one the impression that you're softening your stance up a little bit. You just want to stay cold 
And still, don't give any false impressions that maybe you're reconsidering things. And so there I was lying there absolutely perfectly still. And it was very, very quiet. I don't I think we both stopped breathing during this time. Uh, And um, I was lying there just really enjoying my thoughts of being right. Um, I, I, I have been wrong my share of times. And this time I was sure I was right. And it was a rare thing. So I was really, really enjoying this, this thought of being right. And um, thinking, you know, I'm right this time. And so she's just going to have to get over it. And wrong is supposed to change and come over to the side of right. And so I'm right. So I'm just going to stay here. I'm not moving. I'm not saying anything. And it's her responsibility to break the ice and, and come to me. I can play this cold game as long as necessary. So I'm enjoying these thoughts. And then an intruding voice that I had invited into my life years ago entered into my private personal conversation that I was having with myself. And, um, and basically, the, the, the voice now that has entered in this conversation, the best I can remember was something to the effect that it, it kind of took a, a path. Uh, is this your home? And I'm thinking to myself, yeah. And who's the leader of this home? Well, that, that, would be, uh, that would be me. And who's responsible for what takes place in this home? Ultimately, that would be me. And who's responsible for uh, the relationships? Of course, I'm kind of going along with this. And who's, who's uh, responsible for loving their wives and in an understanding way and cherishing them and considering them? Well, Lord... Um, well, I wasn't supposed to say Lord, but anyway, because it's an intruding voice. But um, so God's just kind of baiting me, you know, he's baiting me and I'm showing me the situation in a different light. I would say a biblical light. So, yeah, it's me. I'm supposed to be doing all of these things. Uh, and, and the thought, the conversation, go, well, don't you think now would be a good time to take biblical leadership in this relationship? Um, you're the leader in this marriage. You're responsible uh, to make peace. Don't you think now would be a good time for you to take leadership and make peace? And I'm really struggling with God in this because I'm right. And when you're right, wrong comes over to right. Right doesn't go over to wrong. Right doesn't cave. Right just stays there and plants his feet. And So I'm really struggling with this. Conversation, And I really fought uh, the Lord as long as I could in this. But then all of a sudden, the satisfaction of being right and smug and self-justified wasn't even very satisfying anymore. But it's like it wasn't fun anymore. Now I'm kind of feeling tension and, oh, man, what do I do with this? So, you know, being right meant being apart. It meant being cold. It meant... Um, not being rightly related to the woman that I married. It meant being at war with my partner. And so I finally, uh, I was getting stiff anyway from the same <laughs> position. So I finally broke the ice, you know, just as weakly as I could almost. 
I wanted to say something, but I didn't. So I, but I said something to the effect of very quietly. Do you want to keep talking about this? And immediately she rolled back over and boy, we just went in this conversation. And uh, and that night, the sun did not go down on her anger. We worked it out, whatever it was. Do you know? Can you remember? No, this was just once, just one time that this happened in our relationship. But that night we made peace. And our beatitude for the day, Matthew 5, 9 is blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This is the seventh of. Eight Beatitudes in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And as we're learning, these Beatitudes are not talking about uh, eight different kinds of people. As if God creates this Beatitude or this characteristic in these group of believers. They're the ones that are poor in spirit. And over here are the ones that are just mourning over their sin. And over here are the ones that are thirsting and for, for righteousness. And they're hungry for righteousness. And so that they can be satisfied, all of these eight characteristics, uh, the Holy Spirit wants to pack into each individual that is saved. And so that's what God is growing in us. This is what we are to be reflecting as far as the character from God, because God has invaded our hearts. God has planted himself and up from the ashes of our flesh. Our burning flesh, the things that we have said no to, the things that in our Christian lives we have tried to put away out from those ashes. This is what begins to grow and sprout. And some of these beatitudes may be very tall in our lives and some may be hardly even noticeable, but they are all to be there. And peacemaking is one of them. Are you a peacemaker? Do you consider yourself a peacemaker? Are you characterized among your in your home or among your peers, your friends, a place at work? Is there any semblance of a peacemaker in you? And why do we even need peacemakers? Now, pacemakers, peacemakers. <clears throat> well, kind of for the same reason to keep us alive, but we we need peacemakers because we we live in a body and we live in a world that is not at peace. We live in a place that is very much at war and our lives are filled with strife and quarrels and anxiety and and greed and evil and malice because of this war. We're at war with ourselves. We're at war with one another. We are a broken people. And if we were honest with ourselves, we get a sick kind of joy at being destructive and breaking things and not keeping peace at times. The celebrated historians Will and Ariel Durant in their book, The Lessons of History, begin the chapter on history and war with these words. War is one of the constants of history. And has not diminished with civilization and democracy. In the last 3,004, of course, this book had been written a little while ago, but in the last 3,421 years of recorded history, 
Only 268 have seen no war. So everything in this world is at war. We know this because we live in it. Uh, we know about the Civil War. We're constantly reminded about the Civil War. When I came here and went to Nottoway High in 11th grade from Maryland, people want to know who, where's this new kid from? I sound from Maryland. Oh, you're a Yankee. And so it was important for them to know that I was, that's how they viewed people. Is you're from the north or you're from the south, a rebel or a Yankee. Now, in my school, if somebody from the south moved to Maryland and went to school, you weren't recognized as that. As that. It wasn't even a big deal. It was in the past. But here, I was a Yankee. We had the, the Civil War. Uh, even in our own day, we have multiple wars going on. Many, many nations are at unrest. Governments are being overthrown. We have the big war on ISIS. Uh, we have the war in Syria. We have our own little cultural wars that we talk about. We have uh, the war against race, the war against women. Now, there's there's uh, war after war. We had the I had the Cold War when I was growing up, um, just kind of the tail end of it. The war that was never fought, the Cold War. But we live in a world that is in a fight, apparently because we like to fight. We can't help ourselves. The only people who want, want world peace these days, it seems, are the beauty pageant contestants. What would you do with this beauty trophy? Should you win it? What would you want to accomplish with your beauty? World peace. It's the answer. But beauty will not bring world peace, nor will ultimately economic policies, social policies, political policies. Because the problem with this war is that that kind of problem, it's not a surface problem that, that we can legislate out. It's a theological problem. That's why we're at war with ourselves. That's why the world is constantly fighting. And there was, what, only 248 years, 240 Six, 268 years out of about 3,500 years that we're not at war. What a history that we have. It's a theological problem. The Bible makes that clear. So when we read about political peace treaties, I mean, that, that's a good thing. But I don't get real, real excited over things that are signed by world leaders and so forth because... The real problem is the heart of man. And that signature doesn't sign away the heart of man. The only time we will actually get ultimate peace is when our hearts are changed. And that is when all hearts are changed. Because if there's one bad heart that still desires evil or war, then it will ruin the rest. Of course, that time will come in eternity. I was thinking as we were... Worshiping the Lord, what an awesome selection of songs. Appreciate that, guys, um, about the suffering Savior and Messiah. And then I, and I thought, Christ, you're, but you, you went through it. You came here. You humbled yourself. You took the form of man and, and you were crushed and you were pierced. But now you're seated at the right hand of the Father and your suffering is over. You've been there and done that. And then I realized, no, it's not. It's not because God loves us so much. 
that he suffers with us. And I was reminded of Paul's conversion. Why do you persecute me? Christ feels persecuted and Christ suffers because he is so it's the, it's the union that we have with Christ. He still suffers in that sense because he experiences what we experience. What an amazing thing. But he's working diligently to eradicate all of that suffering and all that anxiety and all the wars that are taking place. He's going to he, he was a conqueror and he's going to continue to conquer these kind of things. But what a beautiful savior. We serve. There's war on the inside of man for a reason, and it's because we are at war with God. He is the ultimate sovereign. And we don't always like it. And we butt heads. You can't have peace and opposition at the same time. If you ever ask yourself the question or ask the world the question, what do you want more, your way or peace? Because you can't always have both. You can't get your way. And then I get my way when they're in opposition to each other. And then we have peace at the same time. What does the world really want? Do we want peace, world peace? Or do we want our own way? History shows that we want our own way. More than we want peace as much as we cry out for it. James 4, 1 through 2. If you're a counselor, you've used this passage many, many times. It is profound. Because James answers the question that the world's been asking ever since the beginning. And he says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Wow. How do we get ourselves into this mess? Why is there so much tension? What a profound, practical question in our day and age. And then he answers it because he knows the answer. Is it not this? Consider this, that your passions are at war within you. Your desire, you desire and do not have. So you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. This profound question is answered right here in theological terms, and it's. Very simple and very practical, but it's a heart problem. It's not a surface problem. And the problem with all the the chaos out there somehow has to do something within here. With my own little mind, my own little thoughts, my own little desires, my wants. Jesus in Matthew 15, 19. Hopefully we won't wear this verse out as we look at the. Gospel of Matthew, but it's just going to pop up all the time for out of the heart come evil thoughts. We need to know this. The world wants to pin it on everything else but us. Everything but the heart, but we have to go to the source. I think Christ, even in this sermon, he's he always almost everything he says points to our hearts. He wants us just to stop and slow down and take a good look at ourselves. And I think what we have the tendency to do kind of is just pour chemicals in this defiled water so that it'll come out clean instead of taking ourselves to the source, taking our defiled self to the source under the fountain of God's purifying grace and say, I can't purify myself. I can't do it. I need to be purified by you to humble ourselves 
and come under him that he might change our hearts. We can't be a son of God without a new heart. We can't be a kingdom outpost without new hearts. What kind of witnesses would we be to the world if we don't have new hearts? And this is one of the characteristics that should be in us somewhere in some form or shape. If we do indeed have a new heart. Because we can't be a peacemaker without a new heart. God has to change us. And if God is in our lives, we will change. And it saddens me in this day and age that we still have teachings that say the gospel is almost like some kind of incantation where if you say the right words, the magic thing happens and then you're saved. And, and then you can just keep living the life that you lived before because you raised your hand when the pastor asked or because of the altar invitation. You came up and you knelt and made, maybe even prayed tears because you felt a sense of sorrow. But no attitudes ever changed and no action ever changed. The Bible would say you're deceived. You are not saved. That's not what a new heart looks like. Now, sometimes it's more noticeable in others. But a new heart is a new heart. How can we be a new creation and not have changed at all? How can we be born again and still be the same? We might be infants in the faith. But these characteristics will be in there somewhere. If you're a believer, peacemaking's in there somewhere. What exactly is a peacemaker? Well, peacemaker, the word peace, unsurprisingly, is the word for shalom. And that is this idea of, of whole well-being, wholeness, complete well-being to where we could say it is well with my soul. It's just this, this uh, knowing Feeling sensation of peace and peacemaking. When you make something, you go to work at it. You you plan it. You're paving the way for it. You're gathering the materials necessary to make that what you want to make. And so to, to make peace is to have an idea for it, to have a plan for it, to want it, to want to bring it into being. It, it puts things into motion. A peacemaker is not that easygoing guy that nothing riles him. Just whatever goes, goes. Whatever happens, happens. I just peace, love and drugs kind of thing. I just want to stay high my whole life and deny the reality that I live in. It's not that's not a peacemaker. Um, That's not the sweet person that doesn't want to rile anybody, hurt anybody's feelings. Lest you have to. Enter into some kind of confrontation with me. Sometimes peacemaking is confrontation. It's not peace at all costs by any means because there are other things that need to be upheld. I'll mention in a a bit. And it's not necessarily the person that only speaks in a monotone, soft voice so as not to incite any aggression that is already in your heart. If I just keep things calm, then you will keep calm. Jesus came to make peace and he confronted people with the truth. Peace doesn't come at the cost of the truth. It doesn't come at the cost of purity. It comes along with righteousness. It's not peace at all costs. Christ very much was at war when he came and lived his life here. And he faced. 
the cross with firmness. And he did not waver to the left or to the right. And he came and he conquered, but he conquered through love and he conquered through grace. But he conquered. War is sometimes necessary to make peace because righteousness cannot be forsaken. And Corky walks into the building. This is, uh, I'm almost always the first one here on Sundays. And Corky is almost always, 99.9% of the time, the second one here on Sunday mornings. He walks in, he looks at the bulletin, he said, Peacemakers on Memorial Day. Quite a contradiction. Not necessarily. Sometimes war has to be made in order to make peace because the whole idea is that there's something worth fighting for. And that would be righteousness. That would be truth. Well, what are some characteristics of a peacemaker? Well, first of all, if we are a peacemaker, then we we look at ourselves in a new way. We have a new view of ourselves. We, we realize, if we think about the other Beatitudes, we look at ourselves through this grid, we realize that we're poor in spirit, that we ha- we're beggarly before or in relation to God. And, and we mourn over, therefore we mourn over our sin. But we have this view of ourselves that, you know, when it gets right down to it, I don't really deserve anything based on my condition before God. And so anything good that comes into my life is undeserved. So a peacemaker is not one that that has a list of all these things that they deserve and ways that life should go because that's my right or I've earned it or I just have it coming to me because I'm an American or whatever. It is this view of ourselves where God is good and anything I get is wonderful. Any peace I have is wonderful because I don't deserve any of it and I'm not getting what I really deserve. So I'm grateful for these things. And it's one that has the view of mourning over any kind of filth or sin that comes from our hearts because we realize not only does it have earthly consequences, but this is separating me from my father, from the God in whom I need mercy. And I don't want to be separated from my safe place. This is this is my fish, my big fish that's going to rescue me. From the mess that I've made of my life. And I don't want anything to come between me and my God. And so a peacemaker mourns over sin. And a peacemaker wants to make peace because he's aware of the peace that God has brought into his heart. He wants to share that peace with others. The opposite of peace in this context is not sipping pina coladas on the beach. The opposite of peace is war. So if you don't have peace, you have war. That's what the Bible teaches us. Romans 8, 7 says, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It's enmity. We're at war. And our flesh is at war. And we don't like God's law. We don't like him speaking into our lives. We don't like him calling the shots. We don't like that he has it all figured out because we think we have it all figured out. So there's a strife. There's this enmity. Ultimately, we're fighting against God. And I know that we would prefer to think of ourselves otherwise. When someone says you are at enmity with God, it's offensive. And some of us say, well, wait a minute. I don't even believe in him. How can I be at enmity with him? 
Or, well, I, I'm, not, I don't, I'm not mad at God. I'm indifferent. Everything is, is okay. Or, well, I do, I do things wrong and he might just be a little bit mad at me and I might just be a little bit mad at him because I only do little wrongs. But one thing is for sure, I'm certainly not mad at him. I'm not at war with him. He may be mad at me, but I'm not mad at him. God would beg to differ with that reasoning because God knows every thought we've had in our lives. He knows every time we ignored him. Every time the spirit came to us in power and might and conviction and tried to corral us in the right direction or onto the right path. And we said, oh, no, not today, not this time. He knows Every time we hid the truth, every time we twisted the truth, every time we put ourselves in a better light than we deserve. He knows every little secret sin. And we're going to say we're not at war with God. We're going to say all is well. We might fool ourselves. He knows every time we acted innocent and acted ignorant. Oh, is that what that meant? He knows. Let God cross your will one time. And all that stuff that's in there that we don't like to admit, it's going to come out. It'll find its way out. When that time in your life comes, when God's will crosses your will, it's been in there hiding all these times, it's going to break the surface. Because we want what we want. The heart wants what it wants. And it just requires humility on our part to make peace with God. We have to come to Him on His terms. You can't, there's not a rough room in the kingdom of God for two kings. That's the proposition that we have. It's like the story of Naaman, the Old Testament. He was an Assyrian noble, a leader. Commander, very, very important man, but he gets leprosy. And his little slave girl happened to be Jewish. And she said, Master, if only you could see Elijah, the prophet in Israel. And so she arranges where they send word. He sends word to Elijah. Basically, come here and, and heal me. I hear you can heal. Elijah says, you come my way and wash in the Jordan. Well, Naaman didn't particularly like that idea. I mean, our rivers are bigger and better. And what's the reason for me to go all the way there? That little peon land, don't they know we are in control? But he had to humble himself according to those terms. And when he did, he was healed. That's when he became whole. And until we come to grips with the fact that we are at war with God, we can't have peace. Until we acknowledge that God sent his son and took the punishment... The, we deserve the wrath that we deserved for all of those sins. We will not be at peace. We have to surrender to Christ, the King, and then His Spirit makes us know. And that's when the beauty begins of restoration, sanctification. We can't master these beatitudes in our own strength. Got to be the supernatural power of God for these things to be produced. I don't know about you, but I'll just tell you, it's got to be the supernatural power of God in me to produce these things for them to come out of Paul Montana. 
But Christ does that. He brings peace into our hearts. And then we become supernaturally, believe it or not, instruments of peace. So we have a new view of ourselves. We also have a new view of our fellow man. We have a new view of others based on our new view of, our, of ourselves and our understanding of the gospel because he's opened our eyes to things. The Bible opens our eyes to things. And so now I'm also not only able to look at myself differently, I'm able to look at my fellow man differently in that now I know where he's coming from. Now I know what's causing the strife and the quarrel. And it's a heart condition. It's a theological problem. And, and therefore, because I've been there, I am more filled with compassion rather than keeping that strife and taking it so personal. I can be more compassionate with my fellow man. I, I know what's behind all the foolishness. And I know that without Christ governing somebody's life, what do we expect when the flesh is in charge? We can expect them to just behave like themselves without Christ. They're sons of disobedience. And so there's that enmity there. But I understand it and I know it. And, and hopefully now in light of the gospel, I know what will help it. And I know it's not evil for evil. And that's what peacemaking does. It tries to overcome the enmity between us and other people. It's important to us now. Being right is a good thing, and righteousness is not to be compromised, but peace is a good thing too. And it's not either or. So where there's animosity, peacemakers are the ones that want reconciliation. And I can tell you, before I was a Christian, I could have laid in that bed during this argument all night long in one position, barely breathing. To make my point. But because of the Holy Spirit's ability to soften hard hearts, the sun did not go down on our anger that night. John Piper says the peacemaker looks the enemy right in the eye and says, good morning, John. And he says it with a longing for peace in his heart, not with phony gloss to cover his anger. He means it. He wants it. You know, life in the flesh is a whole lot more selective. Are you worthy of my efforts of peacemaking? Do I even like you? Is it worth the sacrifice? Life in the spirit helps us to see things in a different light. It's how can I come alongside you? How can I... Be used by God to bring peace in your life. Because I know how miserable it is to not have it. The peace of God. Now, how can I be an instrument of peace? How can I encourage God's peace in your life? That's how we look at other people as believers. And not just leave them to themselves. Peacemaking ultimately is announcing the good news of God. The Prince of Peace. Because we know that's what's really at the root of all the anxiety and tension and the war that's taking place. So we want to bring the peace to people. We have plenty of opportunities to do that. I'm sure we have run into friends and family and others who are just distraught over one thing or another. And it's a great opportunity to say, have you considered what's at the root of all this? Family squabbles. People who haven't spoken to each other in years and years and years. 
God's peace. How can I encourage what God is doing in this person's life? So we pray and we sometimes even make personal sacrifices to bring peace into people's lives. But peacemaking isn't always successful. If you're a peacemaker, you know that. Paul says in Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. It's a recognition that with our best attempts, it doesn't mean that everybody's going to cave, everybody's going to believe, everybody's going to humble themselves. But it means that we have to do our part. And if there's not peace, it shouldn't fall on us. It should be be because of the other person. But the impossibility of things are recognized. This has to fall with what's in our power. And sometimes people don't appreciate the truth. Even though we have to bring truth in order for there to be peace. People run from it. They might, you might got... You might get punched in the nose for saying truth to people. But a peacemaker cares about the truth and we must never abandon the truth or carry cower back from it because that's really what is the basis and the foundation of peace. James 3.17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. So you see righteousness and purity and truth. That's the whole basis for peace. You got to have that first. Otherwise, what are you agreeing on? Purity first and then peace. And then lastly, he has a new view of the world. So when we come to Christ, we are in training of taking our eyes off of ourselves and making the world all about us and making it our story. And we see that it's really God's story. And it's really about it's about God. And so now all of this new perspective Everything we do, we want it to somehow bring glory to God. That's why we're here this morning. That's what we prayed in the pastor's office this morning. May all we do just be filled with exaltations to glorify the name of Christ. That's what we want to do here in this place. That's the basis of all things. And so when we see brokenness, we ask ourselves, how can I glorify God in this situation? Is there something that I can do? Would God use me? Here to bring peace to this. Even sometimes if our own lives are at risk. Some are so compelled to bring peace into brokenness that they will risk their very lives to do it for the gospel's sake. James 1.20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So we want to bring peace to these situations, this hostility. It's a small wonder that Paul uses this imagery in Isaiah chapter 52 of the messenger that runs along the hillsides carrying very, the Judean hillside carrying very important messages. And he says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say unto Zion, your God reigns. It's a beautiful thing. Those that will come and travel and bring Peace to chaotic situations. The good news. Heralding the good news. When we share the gospel of peace, it pleases God. Glorifies God when the hostility begins to fade away. So our transformed lives by surrendering to Christ, it brings peace to us, but then it spreads. It has the potential to spread if we're humble enough, if we're willing enough. 
If we want to bring God glory, we can even share what God has done in our lives with others that they might have peace. And you just think about the profound impact that one changed life has. God transforms one life, one heart. And think about the beautiful ramifications that that has. That's, that's one less child abuser. That's just one less thief, one less liar. All the problems that we face in the world, Christ begins to change in us for His glory. Bringing peace is a beautiful thing. Why are peacemakers blessed? For they shall be called sons of God. The word called there means owned. And sons of God, it's a little different than children of God. Children has more to do with um, placement or, or Position, whereas the sons of God speaks more to the character. Like if you say, that's my boy, and you pat him on the back. He just did something that pleased you. He, he personified a character that you like. And that's what we're talking about here. It's a matter of someone partaking in the character of Christ. And God is a, is a peacemaking God and a peace-loving God. And so in order to please Him, we want to love what He loves. We want to do what He does. And peacemaking is one of those things. Piper says, even though by nature we're rebels against God and have committed to high treason and are worthy to be eternally court-martialed and hanged by the neck until dead. Nevertheless, God has sacrificed his own son and now declares amnesty free and clear to any who will lay down their arms of independence and come home to faith. Have you laid down your arms, your weapons of war against God and allow the Prince of Peace, welcome the Prince, begged the Prince of Peace to come into your lives? Have you been infected and affected by this wholeness of shalom and this well-being? Are you a son of? Of God that bears his character in this way. You know, he's kind of saying, you'll know my children. It's like, you know them by, you'll know them by their love. You'll know them by these characteristics. And to prime the pump for the last beatitude of persecution, one of the ways you know if you are a peacemaker is that it's a good chance you're going to get persecuted for trying to make peace. For trying to bring light into darkness, there's a good chance you're going to take one on the chin. And that's to prime the pump for persecution. So where is the, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts this morning? All, do, do, do we have relationships? Do we have acquaintances? Do we know of things? Are we in marriages where there's anxiety and tension? tension where we haven't humbled ourselves? Where we haven't taken the lead? Where we haven't obeyed the voice of God and there's this coldness and, and we're shut out. What is God speaking to our hearts? Are there siblings where there's rivalries, where there's war, where there's unforgiveness, where people just, we, I'm just going to get what I want or nothing? What is the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts this morning? Is there a situation with a neighbor or a co-worker? Do you know somebody that needs to know that they are at war with God and that's why their lives are the way they are and they need that message of hope and peace. 
the good news that they might lay down their arms and bathe in the river Jordan and be healed. Are we peacemakers? Do we not live in a world that could use some peace? I pray that we are and that you are a son of God this morning. And that if you're not, that today will be the day when you will surrender your arms and make peace with God. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning.